We are talking about pricing and we're talking about determining value of a home that is about to be listed. You found the Real Estate Law Podcast because real estate is more than just pretty pictures and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. If you're a real estate professional or looking to build real estate expertise, then welcome to the conversation and discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Welcome to the Real Estate Law Podcast. I am Jason Muth, and we're once again here with attorney, broker, Rory Gill. Yeah, it's been a while. How are you, Jason? Yeah, it certainly has. Yeah, we're, um, we're just uh, commenting about all the different vehicles that are going by in both of our uh, current workspaces. Uh, I just I think we're in the flight path here where I'm coming from, which is in City Point and Southie. You mentioned uh, today is street sweeping day, uh, along with all the trucks that seem to go by your office on A Street in Southie. But that's city living, right? Yep. So you'll you'll hear all the street sweepers, all the trucks, all the, the rain. It's a it's a good day for recording a podcast. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. We haven't, we haven't exactly gone into the studio or a walk-in closet where there's tons of, tons of uh, hung clothing nearby to really muffle the sound. Uh, we're just going straight at it, taking it to Zoom where we're coming from two different rooms and hopefully uh, the knowledge will supersede some of the audio uh, issues that surround us. Not that they're really issues. I mean, these days, it's so much easier to record, isn't it? I mean, you used to have to, you know, bunker yourself away in a studio, but you know, everyone's just so used to these zooms where you just turn mm-hmm. the camera on and go. The noise makes it authentic. It does. Well, today we are going to be looking into the current and kind of into the future. And I brought the kaleidoscope of the future. It just happened to be uh, on the okay. background. So I, I, I thought that, well, I know exactly. Yeah, we have all these things hanging around the house these days. Um, we are talking about pricing and we're talking about determining value of a home that is about to be listed. And I mentioned the future because, you know, you have to see where the market is today, but also where it's headed. It's a careful dance, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're taking, we're going to take a look at, um, you know, setting your home's value. It's the first thing that we get asked by any seller client, um, even buyer clients, you know, what exactly is the place worth? And it's more of an art than an exact science, but we can walk through um, exactly how you come to a good understanding of your home's value. It's a multi-part process. Um, it's never hundred percent perfect because ultimately your house is worth what people are willing to pay for it, but we can come up to we can come up to a pretty good estimate of what that is. Right. That's like any commodity, right? If there's no buyers, then you got to lower the price or figure something out. Um, something is worth as much as someone's willing to spend. If there's a lot of buyers, well, then it's probably worth more than you thought it might have been worth. And you know, we'll talk about current market. We'll talk about how you go forward with comparative uh, market analysis for property. Uh, I could share some personal stories as well to try to make it a little more relatable. Well, why don't we start with, you know, you get a phone call or um, inquiry from somebody, someone that you know, saying, listen, I'm thinking about listing a property. Can you help me figure out what it's worth? Like, what should we list it at? What are your next steps as a broker? So the first thing you want to do is um, always understand their reasoning for selling in the first place. That's how you can help them out. The purchase price and what they sell it for is kind of a byproduct of that um, and then just the market conditions overall. But And it's going to be an easier job to 
put together a really good accurate price if you're familiar with the market and you've been paying attention to the trends. Of course, you can do an analysis for something out of your home market um, somewhere else and come to a well-informed decision. But the closer you are to the pulse of the market, the easier it's going to be to put together um, an understanding of the home's value. Kind of just looking at how that works overall, when appraisers go out there to come up with the official uh, home valuation for you. Um, they generally use a few different methods. Three, there are three big methods. One is taking a look at what the rental income is going to be and then reverse engineering what a good purchase price would be for the property. That's pretty akin to business valuations. Commercial property though? Yeah. So that's a preferred method for, for commercial um, as well. And then the other method, which is rarely used, but sometimes uh, makes sense in rural areas is the cost to rebuild. Um, you know, how much would it cost to just rebuild that property? That kind of presupposes that the land itself is not the main point of the value. If your bar, if your barn caught fire, for example. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of the, you know, it, one way. And even in, when they take that one into consideration, it's never the um, the guiding light. It's not really the, the final arbiter of what the property value is, but they go through that calculation so that it informs the overall value. It's often those two that I mentioned together, although I'll tell you they're not regularly used for small residential real estate. The rental method and the uh, replacement method, they often go hand in hand um, together on for commercial and larger property analyses um, to, right. to inform the value. But the key area we're going to talk today is um, for a smaller residential, we pretty much only use the comp method, the comparable method, where we just take a look and see what other similar houses sold for in the past, in the recent history. So the comp method does not mean go to Zillow and see the Zestimate and then just send that over to you, Right. No, but that a lot of agents will take a look the other way and pretend that that's of no value. Um, I disagree um, for two reasons. One, they are working on the comp method, um, the the Zillow uh, estimates um, and the other models that are out there. So it, they are drawing, they are somewhat informed by the same things that a real estate agent's going to look for when they do a more professional estimate. And they're also important to know because consumers and buyers in the market are going to reference that. We can pretend that they won't, but those of us who are working in in these markets know that buyers are going to look at them. So I try to ignore this estimate when I do my uh, home valuation until the very end, but it's something that I don't ignore altogether. Um, It does hold value. But yes, there there are many more steps. They don't know, Zillow does not know the interior of your home. It doesn't know all the details of your home. It doesn't know the history of it, but it is a starting place for a lot of consumers when they're looking at um, at homes and people track their estimates to know how, you know, as if it were hard and fast on their spreadsheets to know what, um, what their home is worth. It's hard not to, I mean, I do, you know, but I realize that it, it's, it's just an estimate. It just kind of gives you a ballpark, but you know, Zillow has no idea if I just replaced the, uh, the hot water heater with a tankless system, or I just replaced the roof or I just renovated the kitchen. You know, they don't, they don't know those things to your point about, you know, what's inside. They're, they're using comps from the rest of the market, the neighborhood, the direction. But it is hard to ignore that. I mean, like rarely are you going to find a buyer or a seller these days that doesn't at least have that number in their head. Like if you find those folks, you know, they're, they're not super informed unto themselves. I mean, maybe they're, you know, older and, and technologically they just, you know, don't, take a look at what's on the internet, but, you know, younger buyers, 
buyers my age, you know, we're all looking online. And I'm not one of the brokers that will tell you that the the Zestimate is completely valueless. It's not. They have been getting better year after year at their algorithms. Um, so it is something to take a look at, but uh, it doesn't replace doing the doing the work um, and doing the hard work of taking a look at that, uh, of knowing the market and taking a look at what's out there. Okay. Now, what are some other things that you would have a look at, you know, with, with the comp method? Like, how do you pick the comps that you are going to use for a potential client? So you want to get as similar as possible, but still be able to find enough data to, to work. So if you have, you know, an oceanfront mansion that's the only one of its kind, it's going to be a very difficult job to pull really decent comps for that property just because they don't exist. But if you're looking at a neighborhood in Boston um, with a standard size condominium unit, you'll probably have plenty of comps to work with um, and give you a much more uh, detailed picture what's out there. So the, the property type is going to, to really matter there. When I'm looking for comps, I'm looking for things that are similar um, in location, as close to the property itself as possible is great. Um, that's the, in many ways, the key variable. But we also want to look at properties that are of similar size. You know, we don't want to just take a property that's twice the size and cut the price in half. That's not how it works. Um, in Boston, we have a diminishing return per square foot. So a, a property that's half the size is going to be worth more than half the value of a, of a similar situated comparable. We also want to take a look at what amenities it has, because those are some of the things that are going to be outside the statistics. We have the number of bedrooms, bathrooms, and square uh, footage, but we want to also take a look at some of the, um, the things that are outside the core calculations, you know, roof deck, views, the level of the home that it's on, number of parking spaces, things that are a little bit outside of um, those core metrics. And then there's the subjective angle of it, the comparing the condition of the property. Um, and we do that by looking at photos and reading um, through the different listings that are out there. But we want to find properties that are as similar as possible, knowing that we'll never find or rarely ever find the perfect comp um, to, to set the market. Now, do you welcome feedback from a potential seller? Uh, like, do you want them to say, hey, this one's sold or that one's sold, have a look at that? Or is it, you know, you're looking at the same information yourself anyway, since you have, you know, far more detailed tools. Sure. I, I, I certainly welcome the input. The discussion about setting up a uh, sale price is um, a conversation to have. It's a two-way conversation that, that we want to have. Um, but as the as a broker, I want to have a really clear picture first um, so that I can educate the, the homeowner um, as to what, what's out there. And then absolutely welcoming input from, um, from them, but it has to be grounded in reality. Um, there are people who will, you can distort statistics and calculations out there to fit any end. So it's a matter of knowing what's out there and walking through the different things that are out there. And it's one of the reasons I also don't look at just sold um, comparables. That's the core. So I'm putting together a market analysis um, to set the value of a particular property. I want about 12 comparables. That's what I work with. But maybe six to eight of them are going to be um, recently sold um, in the past few months. I also want to take a look at a few properties that are on the market now. Um, that's informative to let us, you know, to let us know what other homes we'd be competing against that are in a similar um, situation. And I also want to take a look at some properties that failed to sell, properties that were pulled off the market, they expired, or the, the listing was withdrawn or canceled. 
um, because that tells me too a little bit about what to avoid um, out there. And when you sit down with somebody and, you know, as a two-way conversation, you can just kind of chart down on a, on a piece of paper, you know, at what price point, what happens for each property. So if a property um, is priced a little bit lower, you can draw the trend to show that the days on the market is likely going to be lower. And those properties that um, are priced a little bit too high, those are the ones that are more likely to be uh, withdrawn or canceled. But you need enough data to, to, to draw trends, you need enough data to show it. But I do like to look at all the different um, property types. Yeah. And we're kind of in a weird spot right now. Um, you know, we're when people are listening to this, you know, who knows, everyone might be vaccinated uh, or things might have gone terribly wrong with the vaccine. <laughs> who knows? Uh, but, you know, I just think, you know, it was literally we're recording this just when um, the Johnson Johnson vaccine was announced um, just a couple days ago. So, you know, we're expecting numbers to go up dramatically. Uh, in terms of number of people vaccinated and maybe things getting back to uh, the normal or close to normal that remembered. But I say that because, you know, many months ago, before the holidays, before the election, before vaccines were out, like, I think people's mindset was very, very different. Like, you know, we, we heard it over and over. Um, the cities were dead. Everyone was not going to move to the cities. Everyone wanted to move in the suburbs. And then we saw all the, all the, the craziness that is happening at suburban homes just because of the inventory issue. But bring this up because something that might not have sold in the city back in October, November. Now, you know, who knows, are it directionally is the city back or buyers back here in Boston and Seattle and Portland and New York and other places around the country that that's kind of bad info right now. You know, it's, it's, it's a fact that six months ago it didn't sell, but maybe you relist it again uh, in a different climate where there might be more confidence, uh, both uh, you know, medically, health-wise, consumer confidence, rates have not skyrocketed by any means uh, during that period of time. Maybe you throw things like that back on the market at the same price and see what happens you know, six months later. This is when it becomes a legitimate challenge, even for the most professional appraiser to determine value. If there are trends that are so persistent upward, um, in one direction over time, it's tough for the appraisers to actually keep up with the the comps. There, you may have several offers for the same property at the same high price, um, and that demonstrates by traditional market standards that that people are willing to pay that much for the the home, so it's worth that. But appraisers still may fall short, short just because the comparable data doesn't exist. In these situations, there are times when appraisers are anxiously waiting for new properties to close so they can go back and look at um, more recent sale prices so they can support a higher appraisal. And that's common even for the most professional appraiser. And this is why real estate agents also need to have a good pulse in the market. You know, if we're in a if we're in a pretty level um, area. Era, then the comp analysis is near perfect. But mm-hmm. it's understanding what exactly is going on in the market will help you either round down or round up the, um, the, the data you get from the comps. And I mean, with your micro neighborhood too, matters. What's happening in, in the, this past year was very different in Dorchester and South Boston versus um, suburban communities um, that had a renewed sense of interest that the market trends were very different in those areas. And this year, if things reverse, they'll be very different the other way. Um, but those are things that you're a, a professional agent will, will understand. 
And correct me if I'm wrong, um, which is often uh, that I'm wrong, but um, an appraiser is beholden to the bank, even though the buyer is paying the money, right? Because you're basically the bank wants to make sure that the money they're lending is, you know, is the right amount of money that they're not lending for a property that, you know, is worth, you know, much different from what somebody's willing to pay for it. I was going to say, like, it, the appraiser is looking backwards. How much, and actually, it's maybe to our question, like, how much of the appraisal that the bank you know, is, is doing to make sure that the underwriting is correct. How much of the appraisal is forward-looking versus how much looks at what has just happened? Appraiser will note the market conditions as to whether things are increasing or de- decreasing or staying the same, but largely it's uh, it's past-looking, um, seeing what happened recently. Um, and they'll reach back um, only as far as they have to to come up with three or four comparables. But the the more unique the property type, the fewer comps there are available in the market, which means that they may be reaching back for older sales, which makes the data even more out of date for more unique properties. For commodity properties, I don't mean that negatively, but homes that are pretty similar to their neighbors, there may be a lot more comps, which will provide more updated uh, data, which will allow for higher valuations for appraisers. But you're absolutely right. So the uh, appraiser is coming up with a property value. Their role in the transaction is just to make sure that the bank is not overextending itself and that they're not lending out too much money on an asset that um, that will be underwater shortly after the sale. So that's the situation that the appraiser is trying to avoid. But when people are doing comp analysis, analyses, you also have the seller's agent and they're for, doing the same analysis to come up with um, a listing price that's reasonable that is likely to to interest a number of buyers. Then you also have a buyer doing the same analysis just to make sure they're not overpaying. So you have the buyer, seller, and the lender all hiring professionals to come up with a valuation, and they can be way off from each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you know you get your valuation, um, and then it goes into pricing strategy, which is going to be a whole separate podcast uh, discussion. So we'll, we'll table that for then. Could I share a little anecdote? Like I guess to tell a little story now. That's your job here. Excellent. Okay, so my first condo, uh, which was here in in South Boston, um, when it came time to sell it, like I was woefully undereducated as to uh, what was happening in the market. I, I knew that the direction was going upward, but you know I wasn't super into into real estate at the time. You know this was you know f- before any of the investment properties uh, that we purchased, but. You know, I remember I went back to um, the person with whom I, I bought the house, and I said, "Hey, listen, I'm going to sell." This is ten years later. Uh, you know, do you want the listing? And um, you know, his wife, I think wife at the time, his wife, uh, you know, took the listing. We're working on a price. She came um, to me as to what she thought it was worth, and I was mm-hmm. like, "Okay, that sounds good." You know, typical price analysis. You know, all the homework that you just said uh, that you know the really diligent agents will do. And then, you know, this is one of those tips that I kind of introduced into the whole conversation that I literally heard from talking to a neighbor. Well, we had a second floor condo in a renovated triple decker. My next door neighbor, legitimately next door, also second floor, uh, just happened that they were also about to list their property because they, I think, were pregnant or just about to move out to the suburbs and start a family. And the price they came to was 20000 more than we were planning on listing for. And I knew that our unit was nicer. Um, just because I knew the building, knew when it was renovated. And I was like, huh. You know, so like I went back to um to my agent. I was like, they're listing the same unit next door for 20k more. Um, what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, she she upped the price immediately. So we we also listed for 20k more. And mm-hmm. this was 
eight, almost eight years ago this time, I remember there were like 40 people at the first open house. You know, so you talk about these crazy open houses happening today. It's been happening for a long time, at least in this market. Had an over-asking offer immediately, like after that first open house. So like, had I not, had I not heard that or just chit-chatted with my neighbor, I don't think we would have gotten that little bit extra money at the very end. And that buyer ended up falling through, but then we got another backup offer immediately at the asking price. So, you know, who knows if a lower asking price would have led to a bidding war, but, you know, I, I have a feeling that that just literally that conversational tip that Zillow didn't know about got me 20K more. Well, that's why when I look uh, look to set a sale price, I look out and don't just look at what's been sold in the market, look what's currently on the market. You may not always catch wind of what's about to be on the market, but if you take a look at what what you're competing against that weekend for open houses, you're going to revise your your sale price from what the, the historical comps say, because that's, you know, that's the heat of the moment. That's what you're actually going up against. So your agent did the right thing there by, by modifying the list price when new data presented itself. Yeah. Why weren't you my agent at that one? I wasn't an agent at the time. Ah, maybe that's why you were, you were the attorney though. Yes. I, you went, I remember when we sold it, you were away in Hawaii um, for vacation without me. But that's a side story. <laughs> okay, I, I guess I kind of remember that a little bit. Yeah. Anyway, that's a whole that's a whole separate podcast conversation. Uh, right. All right. So, Rory, I just uh, let's put a bow on this one. Uh, you know, determining the home's value. You know, what are what are three quick things that people should uh, take away and remember from this podcast? This is data driven. So look at the data um, that's out there. You have a lot to mine through, but it's you want to just be as objective as possible because you know hoping and thinking that your place is extra special doesn't pan out. So take a take a look at the data that's out there. Be agile. Things change. New data presents itself, um, and it could be good data or bad data for for your situation. But um, you know, adapt yourself. Um, to, to things that come through. Um, and then remember what we're coming up here is the value of your home. There are strategies that we can get to and we will get to in a future podcast about um, whether or not you should list your home for less than it's worth, more than it's worth, or exactly what you think it's worth. Um, but you want to come up with a clear, sober number of what you think your property is worth. All right. So hope is not a strategy. <laughs> Trust the data. Mm -hmm. And then listen to the next episode about pricing strategies. That's correct. Right? So that rounds us out pretty well. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, well, thanks again, Rory. So uh, once again, this is the Real Estate Law Podcast. Uh, Rory, where can we find you? I am at Next Home Title Town, nexthometitletownrealestate.com, as well as Urban Village Legal, urbanvillagelegal.com. Okay, great. And uh, once again, my name is Jason Muth. We really appreciate you listening to the Real Estate Law Podcast, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. This has been the Real Estate Law Podcast, because real estate is more than just pretty pictures, and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. We're powered by Next Home Title Town, Greater Boston's progressive real estate brokerage. More at nexthometitletown.com. And Urban Village Legal, Massachusetts Real Estate Council, serving savvy property owners, lenders, and investors. More at urbanvillagelegal.com. Today's conversation was not legal advice, but we hope you found it entertaining and informative. Discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com.
Thank you for listening.